Our text has been read, Exodus the fourth chapter, verses 10 to 17. But our text now is verse 12. Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. And our thought of meditation this morning is speaking truth to power, just tell it. Let us pray. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, in spite of what the world looks like or what we may be going through, there are some moments when a part of us is drawn to live in creative tension with the impossible. There are moments when we lift our eyes to see if our dreams will come true, if truth will triumph, if promises will be kept, and the hokey pokey is not what it's all about. There are some moments of possibilities and promise of a hope yet unseen, moments of expectation and longing and anticipating, not for something new, but for something better. Moments that knock on the doors of cynical hearts, invades personalities jaded by challenges of an uncertain time, pricks uh, the consciousness uh, of a culture tossed and twisted by the failure of ethics and the triumph of greed. Moments where we find ourselves trapped in the paradox of the and, that is the A-N-D. We are a nation with renewed hope and we are a nation at war. We are a United States and we are divided on so many issues. That is the paradox of the end. Yes, there is sickness and the hope of healing, death and the hope of eternal life, violence and the hope of reconciliation, poverty and the hope of its eradication, judgment and the hope of mercy, injustice and the hope of justice, despair and and the hope of renewal, grief, and the joy that weeping may endure for a night, but joy is on the agenda in the morning. The end reminds us that this is the kind of hope that has the capacity to span centuries of human disappointments and delay. Moments where we live in creative tension with the impossible. Attention between what is and what we want it to be. Attention between what we got and what we need. Attention between the past and the present, caught in the crosshairs on a future that is on the way. In the book of Exodus, we find an assemblage of moments. They are bad moments where possibility was oppressed and good moments when possibility was liberated. They are long moments, 40-day moments and 40-year moments of desert wandering. They are fleeting moments with a, a golden calf and a carnal moment where the flesh is in control. They are holy moments accentuated by the presence of God 
God, a theophany teaching moment where law is grounded in holy authority. There's problematic moments of learning how to handle the holy tabernacle to assure the continuous presence of God. In this historical utterance of the Hebrew Bible, there are mundane moments, forgettable moments, moments that come and go and are so ordinary that you hardly take notice. And then other moments are special. God hears and God responds. God hears the anguished cries of the people in Goshen and come near. There are indelible moments that are stored in the treasury of your memory banks. God hears and God responds. That's a praise God right there. God hears and God responds. And at any given time, we can push the replay button and live it all over again that God hears and God responds. So here in the second work of the Pentateuch in a split second moment, a mother defies the program procreation legislative act of the leader of the land that instituted a government supported program of genocide. An exodus moment that is as natural as breathing, they come and go, or they linger like the smell of barbecue or fried chicken long after the food has been consumed. A Moses moment. Significant moments in his life where the choices he made determine the course and momentum of his life and the momentum and course of a nation at the same time. The chapter of this Moses moment begins as an unheralded day in the desert. The haze was rising with the sun and coolness lurked in the shadows of a scarred mountain and the wind whipped sands and heat into a toxic desert frenzy. Moses is the reluctant prophet in training. He turns away from the task of keeping sheep in the Median desert to see why a bush burns without being consumed. He dialogues with the I am that I am, who seems to have already reviewed the resume of Moses and has selected him to speak truth to power. Moses is hesitant, wondering why God chose him. Uh, I, I am nobody. I don't know why you choose me. Uh, uh, you know, who will say uh, that sent me? This is somebody's testimony in here. Uh, God, you ought to uh, choose somebody else. Uh, suppose they don't believe me. This is somebody's testimony in here. Uh, uh, I don't know if I have any credibility before the people. Uh, surely there's somebody cuter, brighter, and smarter than me. Uh, uh, this is somebody's testimony in here. Uh, I have never been eloquent now or since this conversation began. I am slow of speech. I'm tongue-tied. I don't know if I have the gifts or the skills or the talent to articulate the mission that you're asking me to do. This is somebody's testimony in here. I don't know if I can handle this dangerous assignment of liberation and civil disobedience. By the way, I don't know how to speak truth to power. I don't know if I should speak the truth to power. I am living under the radar here. I am safe in my Median sanctuary. There are no prophetic risks with the sheep I am keeping now. Moses wanted to know 
how could he defend himself uh -huh, against those who may doubt his, mo his motives, his call, and God's presence in his life? What was the proposed strategy that would assist him when he confronted the unbelievers? What tools was God going to give him to handle this new assignment? In other words, Moses wanted to know how much money was in the budget to get these people out of Egypt. And what was the timeline? Moses wanted to know about staffing. How many preachers are on the ministerial staff to assist him in this project? How many officers will be available to assist him in dealing with Pharaoh removal? Is there a training period for him? And if there is a training period, how long will the training period last? Where is the syllabus for this practicum in liberation? What are the reading lists? And do they have all of the latest research data that I will need in this assignment? What about technical support? Surely I will need a Facebook page, mobile updates, a website, and the capability to tweet regular status updates. Moses wanted to know, what is my salary? Is there a housing package? Is there an annuity or retirement plan? Are there any health benefits? Do I have insurance coverage for me and the children? Do I have transportation assistance of returning to a hostile environment? Who is going to tell Pharaoh I'm coming? And who's going to tell the people that they have to come with me? Moses was looking for support and an arsenal. He was looking for what God was going to give him to go back to Egypt to handle God's business of setting the captives free. After all, Moses was going up against a powerful ruler and nation. The debt was already stacked against him. He was outnumbered. He was outgunned. And without an army to back him up, he was to go on the offensive and not take a defensive position in this risky liberation maneuver. And God answers his last question with a question, what is in your hand? And in the end, all he got was Moses, uh, was Aaron and a stick. <laughs> then comes the moment, as one scholar writes, when the fire fades, the voice is still, the barefooted man looks around, perhaps a bit bewildered, at the late in life assignment. It was a supreme moment where all of the other moments in his life uh, converged to prepare him for the future that was on the way. And the testimony of Moses was that something has happened to me. I can't explain it. I'm not sure I can prove it. I can't define it. I cannot defend it. But all I know is that something has happened to me. 
Something has changed me. Something has changed my direction and destination issues. Uh, something has changed me forever, or is it someone? Oh, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my life. Oh, the joy that floods my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my life. Moses in the language of Methodism, has been assigned by the Burning Bush Annual Conference to a two-point charge. His preaching assignment includes preaching to Pharaoh and to Egypt. This freshly minted itinerant prophet had an assignment that included pastoral responsibility to what would become a murmuring mega congregation. And the text says, now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. When you are called to confront truth to power, you have no ready words of your own. It is in the relationship between the called and the caller where a void is created, a space where the Spirit of God moves and says, let there be, and out of that relationship comes the revelation. It is no longer words that is based on research and experience. It is God's Word, and it is God who shapes the preaching agenda if we would allow God to shape our preaching agenda. Moses was assaulted by the truth of God, and he became obsessed with the truth. God was with Moses' mouth, told him what to say, and told him in advance that the sermon was going to fail. His first sermon to Pharaoh went like this. <laughs> uh, the God of the Hebrews met with us, and this is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says, let my people go, and it didn't work. Pharaoh says, I don't know your God, and I'm not going to do what you say. Because the message confronted with the status quo, and it didn't go well. Jesus confronted the status quo with his good news. In his trial sermon, he said, I come to preach the good news to the poor, set the captives free, recover sight to the blind, liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the good year of the Lord's favor, and it didn't go well. Most of the time when we come to church, right, Peter Gomes, in the scandalous gospel of Jesus, we are looking for confirmation and not confrontation. When Jesus speaks of the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities, for this reason I was sent, he is not proclaiming the status quo as sacred, but is promising a new message and a new messenger. Gomes says he comes not to confirm, but to confront. Thus he says we are astute enough to know that our best interests are served by the church and its preaching rather than Jesus and his teaching. Y'all missed it. Let me back up and say it again. He says that we are astute enough to know that our best interests are served by the church and its preaching rather than Jesus and his teaching. So we preach Jesus, not what Jesus preached. 
The supposition is, is that we preach what Jesus preached. The same thing that happened to Jesus will also happen to us. Moses wasn't a political analyzer. He wasn't a social commentator. He was not an astute student of human condition or a wise sage. What he had was God's word. That's all Aaron and a stick and the assurance that God would be with him and his mouth. This gave him the confidence to risk everything because God had spoken to him. Moses preached something is happening in our midst. God is moving in a different way. And we don't have to live the old way anymore. The word that God gave Moses to preach was a revolutionary word. It was destructive and constructive. For the word of God is like a two-edged sword. The word of God was both devastating and creating. So in order to create a new order, the old order had to be dismantled. In order for the new nation to be born, the old nation had to die. A revolution was on the way. The old regime is about to be overthrown. Switch loyalties to the new sovereign that controls the wealth of Egypt by turning the Nile to blood. Who determines the future of a nation by an angel of death killing the firstborn of everything. There's a new sheriff in town. Bigger and badder than Pharaoh. And it was all done with a word. I don't know, but maybe we ought to be preaching some revolutionary sermons. Maybe we ought to be preaching sermons that heal the sick and raise the dead. Touch the untouchable. Embrace the marginalized with the one who is door, light, manna, and living water. Revolutionary preaching that assaults the world with the truth of God's word. Jesus kind of sermons. And when Jesus preached, he got arrested. He was tortured. He was hung. He was buried. When was the last time a sermon of yours got you in trouble with the status quo? Maybe, 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 maybe. Just maybe, we ought to preach sermons that go beyond self-interest and selfish interest that speak truth to power and the social condition. Truth to power causing a revolution in the established order. Moses announced that God's up to something. A change is a coming. While it's still dark, light is on the way. While we're still in a catastrophic condition, God is getting ready to change the setup, and God is getting ready to change it now. Moses preached to the social condition of his time, to those who were the perpetrators, and to those who were the victims of the condition. When was the last time God gave you a word that spoke to the perpetrators? as well as the victims of the condition. 
So the preaching and subsequent signs and wonders, the plagues were not just to put Pharaoh on notice, but also as a demonstration to the people who needed to see and hear and that God had come from the future to touch their past, uh, to bring in a change in the present. There will come a time, preachers, uh, and there are preachers in this room, is it not? When God may lead you or call you to preach to the powers that be, the status quo, the established leadership, that thus saith the Lord. And guess what? They won't like it and they won't like you. They may give you a hard time. Their hearts may become hardened. They may even try to hold back some straw and then instruct you to make bricks anyhow. Moses had a relationship with God that led to the revelation of truth. God was with his mouth, taught him what to say, told him his sermon would fall on deaf ears, and he preached a revolutionary message anyhow, not just for Egypt, but for the Hebrews. For speaking truth to power means God will send you where you can do the most good, and God will take you where you are needed and not necessarily where you want to go. Truth to power preaching will take you out of your easy chair, off the couch. It will take you out of your comfort zone of the Median desert to the ghettos of Goshen. It will take you beyond placating congregations, adoring students, the heady halls of intellectual exercises. It'll take you beyond catering officers and limousines and hotel suites with marble and gold fixtures. It will invite you to face your fears of success or fear of failure and take you where you have never been before to do what you have never done before and the experience will stretch you. People ask me all the time, when, 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 when was the moment that you felt like you were the right Reverend Vashti Murphy McKenzie? When was the moment that you felt the joy of the episcopacy? Was it when they put the purple robe all across your shoulders? When did when, when they put uh, the Episcopal ring on your finger? Uh, oh, when was the moment? And I answer, it was high in the Maluti Mountains uh, in a little country called Lesotho, uh, riding in the back of a pickup truck uh, with a group of missionaries uh, going to visit a home uh, of children who had been abandoned, uh, who were sick and dying of AIDS uh, and were HIV positive. Uh, it was when I held the babies in my arm, children that everybody else was afraid to hold on to and tell them it's all right, you can love them until God calls you home. That was the moment, getting down on my knees, scrubbing the floor of a patriarch in Botswana who carried the African Methodist Episcopal Church on his back from village to village. That was the moment. God will not take you where you want to go, but God will take you where you need it the most. If I was home in church, I'd say, say yeah. Truth to power preaching will take you into the land beyond comfort zones. Truth to power preaching will take you to places that can't bless you back. Because you're not going to be blessed. 
you're going to be a blessing. You're going to serve and not to be served. You're going to enable and empower others, not so that others will enable and empower you. Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor writes about holy ground preaching. It is not the holy ground of the Medean desert, but the holy ground where God's presence is felt and known wherever God's purpose is affirmed. Holy ground is when you preach God's word, not just to tell the story, but to reach through the story, to bring the truth of God's word to the doorstep of the hearer, wherever the hearer lives, whether they live in the trimmed and manicured rolling longs of uptown to the rugged urban terrain of downtown, from the doorstep of St. John and Gucci and Coach to the doorstep of the Hoochie Mamas and the Ghetto Fabulous, from the doors of the Hoochie and the deuce and a quarter to the doorstep of the Mercedes and the Bentleys, uh, from the doorstep of the Church of Fried Chicken Greens and Mac and Cheese uh, to the doorstep of Caesar salad and grilled chicken and white wine, uh, from the doorstep of the prosperity gospel of money cometh uh, to the doorstep of Jesus is cometh back again. Uh, holy ground preaching uh, that reaches through the story uh, to the board of education, uh, to the city council meeting, uh, to the commissioner's session, uh, to the presidential campaigns uh, reaches through the story to the White House, uh, to the banking house, uh, to the Supreme Court uh, and the juvenile court system, uh, reaching through the story uh, to the public education, to the prison center, uh, reaching through uh, the story, whether the preaching has been prayed over and researched, uh, whether the text has been engaged and wrestled with for a moment or for months, uh, whether it was written in a manuscript form uh, or memorized to be proclaimed. Whether it came in the middle of the night or impressed upon you early in the morning when you rose. Whether it was written on the back of a napkin during a meal or a handy piece of paper from the trash. Whether it was caught in prayer or recorded on your blackberry or, or caught while you were putting the baby to bed or cooking the dinner meal. Whether you got it behind closed doors of the former, former pastor's study with doors locked against the intrusion of daily life. We who are on this side of the resurrection cannot afford to be at ease in Zion. So when the question is asked, is there a word from the Lord? Your answer ought to be yes. Is there a word from the Lord on incest and rape? You ought to say yes. Is there a word from the Lord on spousal abuse and criminal violence and you ought to say yes. Is there a word from the Lord on community redevelopment, health care, and parenting? Your answer ought to be yes. Is there a word from the Lord on debt-free living, racism, or classism? You ought to say yes. Is there a word from the Lord on death and taxes and discrimination? You ought to say yes. Is there a word from the Lord for Ray Ray and Pookie and Susan and Big Mama and Sissy and Junior? You ought to say yes. Just tell it until they close up the backroom bars. Just tell it until they provide shelters for 
tell the homeless, just tell it until pharmaceutical companies choose people over profit. Just tell it until the massage parlors close up. Just tell it until there are no more adult bookstores. Just tell it until they stop lap dances in the gentlemen's club. Just tell it until strippers and hookers get a better job. Just tell it, just tell it, just tell it. I have a message from the Lord, hallelujah. A message unto you I give, it's according to his word, hallelujah. If you only just look and live, Slap your neighbor and say, just tell it, just tell it, just tell it, just tell it, 